to really dig into the the science and the the mathematics of the Blackfoot Sky story, uh, which is very cool. One of the stories that the um, it's about the the Wolf Trail the, and the the Milky Way, and very cool is that I asked uh, Casey Eaglespeaker, I'm like, so in the story it says that the the wolves are always looking down on us. I'm like, is there like a, a wolf? Like, are there wolf eyes that we can see that you can connect to in the the Milky Way? He's like, yeah. And he like draws a picture of the wolf and the wolf eyes on my phone. And we've realized that one of the eyes is Sagittarius A-star, which is the black hole in the center of our galaxy. So this means that, you know, if you think of how old these stories are, so for thousands of years, and this is also connected to Cree stories, like Wilfred Buck from Opaskwiak, uh, has a similar story that those that similar location as the uh, Thunderbird eggs. So all in connection to, like, you can't see, if you know that, it was only a couple of years ago, I remember there's that picture of the of the black hole. I'm like, oh my gosh, look, wait, we know that it's there. And they're like, we've known that for thousands of years at that place in the sky was significant and connected to our, our origin story. Cory Chewy is Cree Métis and Polish and was born on Treaty 8 by the banks of the Peace River. She is the manager of the Indigenous Science Connections at the Spark Science Centre in Calgary, focusing on bringing together multiple ways of knowing science. Cory is on an ongoing journey to reconnect with and learn from the knowledges of the land, as well as helping others connect with the complexities of these knowings alongside global science. Her PhD was in storing mathematics. Through her research, she worked with children and Treaty 7 elders to explore the depths of mathematics within Indigenous stories. She currently has an Indigenous science and education consulting business called Relational Science Circle and a podcast that amplifies the voices and knowledges of Indigenous knowledge keepers and scientists. It's called Ancestral Science. So sit back, relax. I'm really excited for this episode. And uh, let's hear what Corey has to say. Awesome, Corey. It's great to uh, great to finally have you on here. I've been a little bit of, um, ever since I seen you, I think it was like a month, month and a half ago, I was like, okay, I have to talk to this woman. She's uh, she's kind of everything I've been, been looking at and been talking to people about. So I really want to hear it from you. But um, first off, let's just hear a little bit about yourself, how you grew up, where you grew up, and, and we'll go from there. Absolutely. Thank you. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. It seems like a lot longer, but that's okay. <laughs> so thank you so much for having me here today. Uh, my name is Corey Chewy, uh, Miko Pihiso in the Siegesen. Um, On my mother's side, she's uh, creamy tea from up north. I say from Prairie Echo or uh, uh, Prairie, Big Prairie. He's her, her town is Prairie Echo. Uh, Big Prairie Métis Settlement, and then there's Peavine. So, <laughs> uh, so she's from there, um, and my my father's Ukrainian Polish, hence the Z in my last name. Um, yeah, I actually didn't grow up uh, on the land on my family's land. Uh, I grew up in Canmore, uh, but it's been a journey to get here today. So, thank you so much for having me. Oh, that's great, Corey. That's it's funny to hear that. I, I screwed up your last name because I was looking at it. I was like, "What is going on?" But it's Chewy. I really that's 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 <laughs> awesome. Um, so yeah, no, like I say, I I seen you speak at this event. Uh, it was at the Science Center in Calgary, which we can speak to more of uh, of your role there. But it was uh, it was exciting because I took my eldest son there. It was about braids and braiding, and you had elders speaking. You had different things going on, which was awesome and. 
uh, is really important for me to to have Lennox understand the the significance of his braid, just because of of his background, of his heritage, and what he is, and how powerful it is, and to hear other elders, especially from other, there you got a bit of a, a eclectic group, which was awesome from different different nations, which yeah. can speak to different things, right? And it was great to hear, and I guess that's the importance of this, even this podcast, is just to hear from other people and hear from different different lines of work and especially your line, which I want you to speak to because if I'll botch it because of uh, how that works, but uh, maybe we'll get into that first of exactly your background a little bit and, um, and your, maybe your role at the science center. Absolutely. Um, so at the science center, I'm the manager of indigenous science connections. Uh, so I get to do all the indigenous science stuff there from uh, Indigenous Science Nights, uh, of which you attended, so that was great. Um, any of the Indigenous Science exhibits or programming, educational programming, any organizational change, which is the really tough stuff. But I've been there for about three and a half years doing that. Um, kind of background, I, I got into it because uh, of my PhD, which is in Indigenous Mathematics or Storing Mathematics. Because I'm like, what are two things that are completely different and I'm going to squish them together, so... Thought I would do that. <laughs> and yeah, did you want to know how I got into that? That's my that's big thing. Weird... That was going to yeah. be my my follow up to that is because, again, I we kind of spoke off camera, but that is my biggest push for a lot of people is um, is STEM fields, right? And wanting to see more of that, um, especially in the indigenous culture of of getting some of these young ones involved in it and maybe even understanding that there is options out there, right? Besides, besides a traditional past. And I've always, even myself has been extremely eye-opening of even understanding the engineering side of things of, I've always thought there was like four types of engineers, but there's engineers for in all types of things and anything that excites a person or anything that is a real passion, right? It doesn't have to be so black and white. So uh, your mathematics side's kind of got me because I've, uh, Let's just say I took a lot of math in high school, generally the same class over and over again, because they wouldn't let me leave. They liked me so much. But um, it, that was the part that kind of got me. It's like, how do you how do you get math braided in with Indigenous culture and how does that work? So this is that's what excites me about it. I want to hear more about that. Yeah. Yeah, I was the same. Uh, I, I took... I believe I took math 30 at least twice. So, and, and now the word math is in my PhD. So I'm like, you can do anything. <laughs> um, but I never, uh, with that, I never felt any connection or desire to do any mathematics or sciences when I was in high school. I didn't feel that connection to me. It didn't help me snowboard better. It didn't help me <laughs> play my trumpet better, or do my art better. So didn't connect to myself, my anything that I did or relationally in my life. Um, and it ended up many, 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 many years later, uh, found myself doing my, my master's in England at the university of London and surprising. I don't know how I found myself in that program, but that's a whole different story. Uh, and I came across this, uh, this graphic of a body tally counting system out of Papua New Guinea. And it was, if you've ever seen it, it's very cool. Um, it's literally counting on your entire body, uh, from not just your hands, your face, your shoulders, your belly button, everywhere. Uh, and it really kind of took me back because it made me think about how I learned to count and my connection to numbers, which I think with most people that, you know, in a Western uh, global science, I say, uh, society, we learn 
very abstract. Like numbers is abstract. You memorize numbers, you memorize formulas, and therefore it's completely disconnected from ourselves, our bodies, our everyday's culture, not even a question that there's a connection there. And as I was looking at these different body tally counting systems, and there's many from all different communities in Papua New Guinea, there's, if you know, there's like 800 different dialects um, within that very, very small country, similarly different number systems. So originally there was no, uh, no words for these numbers. You would just touch different parts of your body. And if you think about communities trading, it becomes a very social tactile, community-focused number system. But also, not just that, like you're using your body, using your senses, you're connecting with different communities, you're translating between different base systems, just a whole different system. But also, there would be stories and spirit connected to those numbers based on different parts of your body. So I think about the belly button and how in different locations, it's number 30, number 16, whatever that may be, how that number, it's not just an abstract idea, like how I learned numbers in school and how to count, but it's connected to birth stories. It'd be connected to your mother, your matrilineal line. So it's this whole cultural, like relational connection to numbers and your body and your culture. And I'm like, huh, well, I guess I'm not going to be done just my master's. I got got to go back home and connect with uh, communities in Turtle Island and and reconnect with these lands and understand you know, the depth of mathematics and science within indigenous cultures and languages and and the land where where I'm from. So that snowballed my my PhD and kind of where where I got to today. That's awesome. There's a bit uh, a, a few things with that. Uh, Definitely England. I want to talk about that. We'll talk about that a little later. My <laughs> wife and I lived there for a few years, so um, we can speak to that. I used to joke all the time about uh, trying to take our land back and, and different things. Um, <laughs> but going back to your, uh, going back to the mathematics side. So when you when you decide to bring that back home and and pursue that further, how was that met? Like what? How did you how did you even broach that topic with uh, with people? And and what did that look like? I mean, it was really, it was two different sides to it. It was, uh, I think I got, I got into the University of Calgary to do my PhD and they're like, oh, this is cool and interesting. But that whole process was uh, extremely, honestly, it was traumatizing. Um, trying to do this work in a good way through Indigenous methodologies and methods. I ended up at that time, I started in 2015, uh, I had to create my own um, methodology and methods, which there's a lot that's out there now, which I didn't have um, back then, uh, which was which is great. I got to do it all. Ethics took me a year and a half to get approved, which is really fun. Uh, so it was very difficult with the university to, there is being such a colonized institution with such rigorous in a negative way standards of, of processes. It was very hard to like, validate um, the very subjective ways of understanding the world around us, which is science and math. Um, but then, you know, it was working with elders and community. They're like, 
Of course. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? So I would go, I would work with uh, different elders and we would go and, or not we, they would um, tell stories to uh, different elementary school classes. And we'd be like, so where's the math and science in those stories? And we would like explore the the depth of mathematics and science within these, these stories that were you know, very traditional within, I worked with Casey Eagle Speaker from Ghana Nation and Hal Eagle Tail from Sotina and looking at the differences between the stories, but also connecting them to these lands. And many of the uh, students were, were from those nations. And just to see, you know, those relationships and those uh, connections that were made, like talking about mathematics in connection with the Hutok's rock and or, you know, stories that they are very familiar with uh, was, was pretty cool. Well, it's exciting. It really gets it. It gets my wheels spinning because uh, we we homeschool and uh, and math and and reading and everything right now. Because Lennox is six, uh, I got another little guy, but he's uh, he just runs around and wrecks things right now. But um, that's fun too. Yeah, with Lennox, it's it's very <laughs> interesting with with math and uh, with even with with reading and writing. Like he's uh, he's your typical little boy, right? He just doesn't doesn't really compute, but math he's doing really well with and. Um, he really understands numbers and link them together. And it'd be very, very interesting to connect those, especially the storytelling and the, the outside world could very, again, very much in touch with, uh, love being outside, hunting, playing in trees, survival, doing all that fun stuff, right? Yeah. The little yeah. boys do. So it'd be interesting to marry the two. So they get him excited about, uh, other aspects of education, which would be, uh, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to have to bug you even even further down the line on that one. <laughs> but first. even with that being said, I mean, do you, with all the work that you did with that and, and, and bringing other people in and being on the outside of some of these institutions or going into schools like that, is there anything that you can, uh, you can see that would help support some of these schools and some of these classrooms with, with just the way they do some of their policies or the way the curriculum is? And I understand absolutely that it goes back to colonial and very much in the in that aspect but everyone's been talking about the 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 reconciliation here lately is there is there anything that you could see that uh just a simple one off the top even just of what you noticed that's 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 a whole other loaded question i apologize (laughs) that's okay uh we're not gonna get political with uh curriculum uh but you know i think Teachers are they they want support with how to do this well, and I know a lot of teachers that are are scared to to do anything with an indigenous knowledge, ways of knowing indigenous science, uh, in case of making mistakes. And I always say, you know, do what you can, work together. It's like we're let's go on this journey together with you and your students. We're going to make mistakes, you know, reach out to community, try to make those community connections to, to support these, these topics and ideas. Um, you know, there's a lot of support within different school boards. Uh, but thinking about, I always say that learning from and with the land, anyone can do that. Anyone can go out and just sit down and learn something and use all of your, like more than five senses to learn from what's around you. Uh, Pay attention to the the seven directions, like four directions, what's above, what's below, what's in your heart. And and just sit there and learn. Just look at and observe and, and experience what's around you and what's below you. Look at how the the uh the trees and the the wind and all the, the four elements are interacting with one another. And it will teach you something. And that's that is the basis of indigenous science, where indigenous knowledge, you know, people 
began and created relationships with the land and understood the frequencies, the cycles, the 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 changes in the flocks around them with within different locations around the world. They understood these cycles and how to live in reciprocity with these cycles and and to predict what may happen uh, so that they could survive. And that knowledge that they learned from the land, they pass that on through stories, through ceremonies, through whatnot. And that's that knowledge is a bit more difficult um, to get gifted to teach than it is just to go out and hang out with the ancestors on the land. And, you know, if you hear something very cool from an elder knowledge keeper, uh, to always cite your sources. And it sounds like I've cited some people already, but I always do that. It's not my knowledge. Always connected to um, the elder knowledge keeper and the land that they're from. So it's kind of kind of an overarching, maybe simple answer to your question. No, that's a great, that's a great takeaway. And uh, I appreciate that of... Uh of definitely citing back to, to the older one that you've learned that from or whoever you learned that from. That's, that's really important to keep that alive. And to, um, for me really to, to make sure people understand that that did get passed down from someone else. Right. And, and to keep that, keep that tradition alive, which it's, it's really starting to, uh, to taper off. I noticed at a few spots, but hopefully yeah. with, uh, with you, the work you're doing and with everything else going on that we can get more of this, more of this out there and more people asking those questions. Right. Um, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's so important with everything I see. With um, going back to yourself a little bit too, is with all of this, and I speak a lot about mentors and different role models and, and being important to in people's lives and how you can help out and stand out. With um, with your educational path and even just with your career path, is there is there anyone that really stands out to you that was uh, that helped in that way or really mentored you or role modeled that to you um, to get you to where you are? Yeah, definitely the elders. I mentioned Casey and Hal. Um, they've been significant and on this journey with me. Um, any of the, you know, Alice Kikwitz and Diana Melting Tallow. Uh, Alice is from Yithka, Nakoda. Diana is from Siksika Nation, as well as Rob Cardinal, also from Siksika. Uh, been working a lot recently with Juan Carlos Chavez, who is an Oriaki uh, from down south New Mexico. So lots of people, you know, you can't do this work alone. So there's a lot, a lot of people that I have to credit for supporting this work. Oh, wow. That is, that's, that's awesome. And just getting to, yeah, getting to spend time with those people, right? Like those, those are very significant people have been through a lot and it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty special to hear. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that's great. I guess uh, maybe just to wrap this side of things up is, uh, is there anything like again, we talk about STEM, and I'm really, really passionate about finding more indigenous, more indigenous young ones, anyone really, but just to help open some doors or to get them involved in that in that world and and realize what's possible, and then direction to really um, to start pursuing that and and really take that under and and start to learn some of this stuff and and go to school. Um, is there anything uh, that you? Maybe first, is there a is there a direction that that some of these young ones can take, or is there different um, different resources that you know of that are readily available? Yeah, I think like what be critical of what you're learning and what's being taught to you, and ask those questions that I never asked when I was young, and to think about what you know what you're being taught and what perspective it's from, and and with the work that I do, often it's you know, especially with mathematics, it is a, I say, global uh, science, global method of learning. And I can't take credit for that. I say global and indigenous. Global is a 
uh, Dr. Ed Doolittle, who's a Mohawk mathematician out of First Nations University, um, where it's global, it's standardized, it's universal for everyone, and therefore it is often seen as the the singular, more valid way of being, doing, knowing, teaching mathematics and science, right? Um, and just being critical on like what is what perspective is being taught, who is benefiting from. Uh, this knowledge that's being taught to me. Uh, and where is that human? Where is the culture uh, of that knowledge? Because often, and I, I still hear this all the time, well, math is neutral. I purposely take culture out of mathematics so that it's available for everyone. And I always ask, what is, I'll ask you, what is the, uh, those examples of uh, math problem solving? Yeah, like what is it? Yeah, do you remember like the, like, do you remember like the typical Problem I is thought it. it was a barometer used to to understand people's intelligence because, like you said, or I was always under the understanding that math is very singular, very like this is what it is, and it's set in stone. And I always thought that that's what people use to uh, to understand how how people's minds worked. And I failed horribly at it. So I was like, okay, well, I'm a dummy. This just this just completely ruined my self esteem. And uh, it took a lot to build up to to come back from that. Like, hey, I'm smart in other ways, maybe just not this way. When they threw letters in math, I'm like, "Hey, what are you doing? Why, why do you need that?" <laughs> it's, it's so true, uh, and it's like, that's the problem that it's you know it's based within a, a worldview, just like under the guise of neutrality, right? So there's you have those typical problem solving of questions of two trains are traveling at depart from a certain right. So it's about trains, it's about fences. Uh, super colonial uh about money more money the better it's always like more it's all these superlatives of higher faster stronger go to the store and buy a thousand watermelons why am i buying a thousand watermelons there's no relationality it doesn't make sense it's reinforcing a capitalistic colonial perspective so it's not neutral it's very much not neutral. So if you don't have those connections and that like that doesn't connect to yourself, your 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 history, your culture, and the processes, the pedagogy that is taught, it's very much about hierarchy and taking the human and that relationality out of it. Right. So so for like helping the the I guess the next generation is, you know, being critical of what you're learning and asking questions, but worldview and, and purposes are from and looking at what are the origins of the knowledge so everything has an origin often it's been removed from its original origin and knowing where that's from like a great example is aspirin do you know where aspirin is from zero zero idea i probably i think and i say this all the time i use this example all the time and i've never looked it up but i think i refuse to there's like some french dude that's connected to discovering the the active ingredient of aspirin no it was settlers that how did they they came over how, they were taught how to survive on these lands from indigenous people from the knowledge that they had learned from the land part of that was medicinal and so they were taught how to to it was a pain relief for a lot of women during their menstrual cycles or or mild pain relief uh, from the red willow. And so you think about that knowledge that was taken from the land, from community, taken and then commodified and reduced down to its parts and sold and, and completely disconnect from its origins of the land and the people that it's from. So it's like looking at those, those 
origins of where these knowledges are from to to give credit and to reconnect. Holy. Yeah, no, there's a lot there. Well, there's a lot. <laughs> the first thing was you made me feel really good about my math. No, um, I excelled really well in practical math. We'll say there that. So right, Absolutely. like with you're work, a carpenter, was, right? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It was like, hey, I need to know fractions. I need to know that, like anything practical. It was just smash it, right? But then yeah. as soon as there was, like you said, two trains traveling towards each other, it's like, well, for one, why are they on the same track? Like, who's doing that? Right. Someone screwed that's a, up. It's a massive engineering issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone screwed that up. Oh man, that's that's crazy. Um, and you're right. There's so much on the land, and so much was learned. And you mentioned it. Like, make sure that you cite that, and make sure you let people know of where this came from. Don't just don't don't just take that right. And yeah. um, get so get so get so used to taking things all the time, right? Just take, take, take. And um, I've been talking, I've been speaking with a lot of older ones, even that middle generation like myself. And it's just like, we got to learn how to give back and giving back to a lot of these youths that it's it's tough right now because get caught in that cycle of, you know, generation before me and for the generation before that, it's like, oh, these kids nowadays, like, what are they doing? And like, all they do is sit around and play video games and they're, they're lazy. They're not working. They're not outside doing anything. But then it's like, well, what's their, who do they have for role models? Or like, you know, look over and their dad is a grown man playing video games, sitting on the couch doing nothing because he needs to numb out from outside sources of stress or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. So, um, being able to mirror that back to a lot of these kids, but I guess with, uh, <laughs> with all of that being said, like with, um, with the kids and the younger ones, like your role now. I want to know a little bit how you got this or how you got into this role, but your role now at the science center, I mean, you, you work with a lot of younger ones, a lot of youth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, how does that, how did that look like getting into that for one? And then some of the, some of the work you're doing right now at the science center. Yeah, I, I was hired actually when I was finishing my PhD, uh, right in the beginning of COVID. So that was great. <laughs> yeah. I know someone that could handle this here, Corey, you can take this on. You can do both of these at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah, I never had those moments of, oh, I'm stuck at home doing nothing. Ever had that? That's okay. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's really interesting to to be at a place where, you know, there is that, that support in doing this work and doing it in, in multiple different ways of like creating a, you know, a digital immersive exhibition of indigenous superheroes, you know, trying to reconnect with the land or, or a gathering space or um, slowly developing educational programming. And it, it's a slow process because it's, we do everything alongside the elders and community. Uh, again, it's not our knowledge. We are guided by uh, the community. So it takes quite a while, but we're, we're trying to do all the work in a good way and alongside um the alongside community. And I think it's been great with uh, Indigenous Science Nights, and we have those uh, usually every quarter, except winter solstice is when we have our internal uh, gratitude gathering and, and reciprocity for uh, all the support that community has gifted us. But uh, we have these Indigenous Science Nights, and it's so great to see um, Indigenous, like the amount of Indigenous people and allies, which I'd like more recently, is there's become a lot more allies that are there to learn. Uh, which I think is really important because I think, yes, I, I see two um, pillars of uh, what I do is one to allow for 
Indigenous people, the next generation, to see the depth of science and math within the knowledge that they know within those, you know, very seemingly subjective methods of knowing and stories. It's not stories, it's knowledge. It's the same thing, right? It's not this token story or fairy tale. It, it is very deep mathematical knowledge. You think of the amount of trigonometry you need to navigate from the stars uh, in connection to self. It is very much relational, subjective, spiritual trigonometry um so looking at that to you know i lost my train of thought well the, I, I just <laughs> i think you gotta coin that phase of spiritual trigonometry I'm like i'm gonna I use that it's gonna make I'm me sound smart down that was that a good one make, make a person sound really smart um but i i really like <laughs> even just that that way you're going and you mentioned allyship which is yeah. which is massive and i mean even just yeah. with uh with the past month in september of um well the whole month for one and then having orange shirt day uh near the end it was uh that was always a question of like well how do how do non-indigenous approach this right and how you mentioned it with teachers being maybe a little bit skittish of of not wanting to get things wrong or or being mindful of of respecting different cultures or different things they just don't know of right but even with the allyship that um that you see at the science center like what what are some of the questions that you've been getting? Is there just flat out, like, how can we help? I had no idea, like, you know, that type of world or, or what, what do Absolutely. you see out there? Absolutely. All the time I get that. So, which is great because I, I love when people are asking questions and uh, remember my train of thought. Uh, yes, Indigenous people, next generation to see the depth of science and math within their, their knowledges, but then for everyone to know this. Because we need everyone to understand. And this goes back to the braid. And the reason why um, that event, it was a uh, breeding science community, was the last Indigenous Science Night uh, in September. And we wanted to do something that was, you know, bringing together community. And uh, Casey Eagle, speaker from Ghana, always said to me that sweetgrass braid represents community because one strand alone is weak. And that represents the human by themselves. One strand is weak. But together, as you braid multiple people and create community, there's strength. And I see that also with mathematics and science, where, and this was kind of the basis for uh, the pedagogy of my PhD, was the speaker braid, where, and, where there's multiple ways of coming to know math and science. There's not just one. And that's the problem is if, if everyone sees and everyone's taught, and this is maybe not most people, okay, uh, are taught mathematics through a very narrow, objective, universal, standardized lens. And that's the only way that's correct. And that's very exclusive and, and kind of similar to what we were talking to before. But if we weave together multiple ways of knowing, being and doing mathematics and science, so we have that land-based knowledge, we have that personal experiential way of knowing, we have the knowings from Indigenous community, and we have those global science mathematical knowings, they support one another. And I think that's to what you're saying about allyship. You know, it's understanding and being open to understanding and uh, supporting and promoting ways of knowing being and doing math and science that are subjective that are cultural that are spiritual yeah that's that's amazing and that's great to hear and i like that i like that uh example of with sweetgrass right of the braid (laughs) and in the one strand being being not as strong because uh that was one of the big takeaways that lennox had that night of, of hearing that right and and realizing how powerful and strong one person is, but then you get everybody together and, and the things you really can do, right? And 
and keeping that bond strong. And I, I often mention that to him with family, right? Together we can, we can be very strong. So like fighting with his brother, for example, right? It's just like, you know, it's going to happen, but at the same time, make sure that you guys, friends come and go, but you have each other and you can always lean on each other and be very strong for each other. So that's, um, yeah, that's special. And that's awesome to hear. With, and the um, humility of that too. Humility oh. of knowing that you can't know everything, you can't do everything, and to know, recognize that many other people have different strengths and that they're stronger if you support one another with their different strengths and gifts. That's massive, right? And yeah. that rolls right into leadership. I, I've yeah. had to learn that a lot and learned a lot the hard way, even of thinking that I can take so much on. But once you start really relying on a team and understanding how each person brings different strengths and, and different aspects to a team it's uh you can just do some amazing things together on projects or whatever it is right and get things yeah. done yeah. no that's really special um with uh you kind of mentioned it with your phd was there was there uh because I'm, I'm working on a project now or we're working on something to get together that um really to tie in it's actually has to do with like assisted, assisted, uh, medically assisted uh, death, but braiding that in with indigenous side and how that looks right. And doing some round tables and, and meeting up with different people and, and, and how that's all going to play out. And there's just so many different aspects that it brings up, right. Even for myself, it's like spiritually, like what does creator think of this? What does, what does so many things, how is that all going to play out? And you mentioned that you had to, really jump through some hoops we'll say for uh for even getting getting a lot of that indigenous side through the college right and yeah um maybe you can maybe elaborate a little further on some of those challenges or maybe what the uh what the outcomes now that you actually uh have after that year and a half fight of even just for your ethics and stuff like that yeah i think they just got sick of me <laughs> with ethics specifically, uh, I kept pushing back different edits. And I'm like, no, this is correct. <laughs> and then I'd send them another couple of pages of why it was, you know, important. Or uh, that was a big one. Uh, to me, I wouldn't have elders sign an ethics approval. To me, I'm like, that is tobacco. I will have maybe a witness sign, but the elders not going to sign. Tobacco was the ethics, right? Um but I think a, a lot, there are so many things that's, that's a huge conversation between um, trying to do more um, experiential or arts-based, you know, instead of just having like something that's written for my dissertation, but also having something that's more art-based because that's the, the work that the kids did. Um, having that recognized, which I know now is a lot easier. I know ethics is a lot easier now. Uh, universities starting to pay cash now. Uh, for for honorarias, which was a huge thing, I just paid out of my pocket. I couldn't, you know. It's uh, I I was talking to someone, I forget who it was, and I was saying how I just I was trying to get shirk, I was trying to get grants, and you know, wasn't recognized at that time the work that I was doing, and and it's like, well, if I was talking to someone, they were engineering, I think they're in chemical engineering, and they're like, well. I, I don't have to pay for the chemicals to do the research I'm doing. And I'm like, well, yeah, I have to pay for the elders because they are my research. They, I miss it. Like they are the textbooks. If you want to say they're like, they're, I wish I could, I tried to get their name on my dissertation. They wouldn't let me, uh, but I had to pay for, for their time and their knowledge. Uh, but it's, 
I think that's different now, but I know that they can pay cash now, so that's a big yeah. thing. But no, no, it's area. not different. It's no. still very much, uh, very much there, and uh, a lot of people forget that, and they don't like you just mentioned with the with the chemical side. People people often pawn, or like don't understand it, right? But they and it gets missed in a lot of budgets and missed okay. in a lot of things. It's like, no, we got to yeah. carry this because we have to. We have to honor their time and their their even travel and, and get them there, right? That's the hard yeah. part. You have to get or them or even there, not like even. Like it's always that perception of okay, the elders come to me at the university. I'll just go out to where they live. <laughs> well, you have to, right? Like, you I have know to, that... and then that's other. You know, that could be uh, several hours away, and yeah. yeah, it's yeah. No, it's a massive thing, and I mean, virtual is not going to work. Your phone call is not going to work. You're not going to do this stuff that way, right? So, no. um, that affects myself even personally, just with work wise too. It's you um coming from the from more of the the i don't know what you want to call it western world i suppose we'll say of just the way i used to do things of phone calls and a lot of zoom calls and things where that's fine but anything on nations or community like you have to be there you have to be face to face it's not gonna it's not gonna happen over a phone call or or anything like that right it's very energy based very uh and and just needing that FaceTime for one is a, is a massive one so that's interesting, but you, yeah, you nailed some good points in that because it, it's, uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be very, you would have probably put that university on its head for a little while, hey, of wondering like, what's this girl doing? And and my main method uh, that I use with spirit, <laughs> yeah, it was, doesn't translate well in the in that. No, world. it didn't. But I continued. It was, you know, it's it was such a, a guide for me, uh, but like from. I think a lot of people ask, well, how do you bring spirit into the classroom? Well, it's just paying attention to those moments of aha or intuition when you're, when you're doing something or, or I had, a during my research, I was walking into a school with Hal Eagle Tail and I had this massive deja vu and he's like, what's wrong? <laughs> okay. I just, he took me aside. We had a conversation that we needed to have before we went in there. And to me, that's, that was a significant moment of, like guidance from from the spirits from the ancestors, whatever it may be, where even like, however you understand that, but it was significant for us to have that conversation before and guided uh, that day as well. Um, and never mind what happens in dreams and ceremonies. That was a whole other thing, but uh, that yeah, that was a that was a tricky one too. Well, that's special and that's unique because you really don't get that anymore, right? To have that kind of type of guidance, but even for for you, just to be open to that guidance too, that's that's a huge uh, that's a huge step. I know for myself, that'd be a massive step, right? And uh, yeah. that's pretty special. It's hard to focus on it, even like because it's so you know you're like oh, this isn't this isn't valid enough, you know this isn't real knowledge, but you know it is, you know it's it's significant. But it's, you know, we have that colonial mindset, or I do often, that it's it, and intrinsically just like leaks in all the time. <laughs> oh, no, it's still there. Trust me. I had that conversation with my coach this morning. Um, just I have like just for life, really, more than anything. But um, for work, it's been very frustrating lately of I've been I'm very go, go, go A to B. And that's what um, that's what made me very successful in my my career in life and that's how I've made it. Lack of education, but I've made it with my like willpower and and, and will to work. So yeah. now yeah. it's it's really taking. Uh, I I try to bring that to some of these projects I'm on now, and it gets really stonewalled really fast because that's it's against everything that's that's there in the traditional sense, right? So it's um yeah. it's been very 
frustrating for one, but it's a real learning experience and really eye-opening to me. And um, it's really forcing me out of my, well, I wouldn't say comfort zone, but it's just forcing me to learn a new way and forcing me to uh, to really look at myself and realize that, you know, one, that way is great in some aspects, but it doesn't work everywhere. And I have to learn learn to pivot and learn other ways of doing things. So yeah. it's uh, challenging for for a man like myself. <laughs> to be open to that but it's it's coming yeah, uh we're on a journey oh god I get it. <laughs> but uh going back a little bit with your master's so you went to england how did you end up in england that's what i want to know yeah uh how did i end up in england i was i i worked and traveled for like a decade before that and just it's one of those i to find myself out of my, you know, when I finished my bachelor's degree, find myself overseas. And then, as I mentioned, when I realized I had to go back home and that's when I actually, uh, a decade later found myself, but, um, I was working in a, a small community in, in Malaysia actually, and in kind of the middle of the jungle. And there were, um, a lot of, uh, Orang Osli children I was working with. I was working for the government at this time, like with curriculum development. And I remember thinking about how like none of this new, very British curriculum that I was enforcing onto these humans had any connection to them. And like their life, like where, where they were, how could they, how they lived, how they survived, how they connected with the land there. I had no connections. There was a unit on seasons. We are on the equator. <laughs> yeah. It's hot, hotter or kind of hot. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, I'm like, this makes no sense. And realized that they're, you know, how colonial my work became and that realization of I, how do I fix this? What do I do? How can I help? And then just randomly applied for this program. That's one of the best in the, in the world. And I think it was as a, I think it's that international students, we get four times the amount of money from them acceptance. <laughs> so that's how I got there. Um, not the most interesting story, but yeah. And then it was, yeah, it was a reality check of, I'd been intimidating very intellectual students there that i was you know very challenged by but it was it was a good experience got me to a, where i am today so that's important oh that's awesome yeah no i mentioned yeah my my wife and i we lived there for for two years right kind of like downtown london and it was uh nice. it was it definitely helped me a lot it uh mm -hmm. we'll say yeah that whole find yourself or at least get to get to take some time and, and reinvent myself a little bit or just really do what i want to do and it was um I had an amazing time there and it really helped us a lot and it helped myself, uh, helped myself immensely. It was one of those, it was a weird, not a weird one. It was just, um, kind of hit the glass ceiling here and, uh, for work wise. And then, um, we were, it was either like get a divorce or we got to change things up. Like, what are we doing? Right. And yeah. that, uh, that experience really helped us and really helped us grow as a, as a couple and then really helped me grow as just an individual. So it was, um, it's pretty unique, but it's uh it's funny how uh especially in england or anywhere really in anywhere in the world you're you're well traveled right if you find someone from canada they could be like in from newfoundland and you'd still think they're a neighbor like hey yeah let's do this and you hang out and, yeah uh, it's pretty pretty cool um yeah. no that's awesome well i guess really uh more looking into the future now with with yourself 
Is there anything uh, currently, at, even at the Science Centre, any initiatives or anything, programs that you have going on that, um, that you're excited about or even developing right now that, uh, that you'd like to speak on? Oh, gosh. We're... We're in the works of bringing Blackfoot Skies more to community. So Blackfoot Skies, uh, Makoi Yoksukoi, uh, or Wolf Trail, uh, was a story that um, in a project we've been working on with elders for a couple of years now. It was actually at the old science center, like downtown uh, in the in the planetarium there. And, and one of my uh, former colleagues opened a drawer and found this book. And, and we're like, what is this? And we're like, let's apply for a grant to, to redo this or to reconnect with these stories. And ended up making a, a film um, that was all Indigenous cast and crew, which is pretty rare. Uh, so with uh, Tito Gomez and Pam Beebe uh, were um, also co-producers on that. And so we made a film and now we've created uh, different workshops to <clears throat> to really dig into the the science and the, the mathematics of the Blackfoot Sky story, uh, which is very cool. One of the stories that the, um, it's about the, the wolf trail the, and the, the Milky Way. And very cool is that I asked uh, Casey Eagle speaker, I'm like, so in the story, it says that the, the wolves are always looking down on us. I'm like, is there like a wolf? Like, are there wolf eyes that we can see that you can connect to in the, the Milky Way? He's like, yeah. And he like draws a picture of the wolf and the wolf eyes on my phone. And we've realized that one of the eyes is Sagittarius A-star which is the black hole in the center of our galaxy. So this means that, you know, if you think of how old these stories are, so for thousands of years, and this is also connected to Cree stories, like Wilfred Buck from Opasquiac, uh has a similar story that those, that similar location is the uh, Thunderbird eggs. So all in connection to, like, you can't see, if you know that it was only a couple of years ago, I remember there's that picture of the, of the black hole like oh my gosh look wait we know that it's there and they're like we've known that for thousands of years that that place in the sky was significant and connected to our our origin story very cool anyway so we're long story short um we're bringing that workshop out to uh we've been bringing it to uh uh blackfoot schools um over the past year so trying to you know follow protocols and teach those stories to uh, the community first, uh, expanding that to Stony Satina uh, communities uh, soon. And then it will be out in, in available for um, non-Indigenous schools very soon. So we're excited for that. Uh, so, but stay tuned. Nothing is uh, confirmed yet. So yeah, get to do that. Um, yeah. Continuing. I am excited for the next Indigenous Science Night in March. The topic is frequencies with like thunder flint napping like or like it's gonna be cool so those things are gonna be good and yeah and also we're designing a new gallery that has very significant indigenous science um like really learning directly from the land uh lens that's gonna be a very experiential way of learning uh in the new gallery so that's like 2025 stuff so yeah cool stuff there is happening Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's really exciting stuff to hear. And hmm. uh, even to learn about, you really piqued my interest already of <laughs> wanting to, wanting to find out more about that and, uh, and, uh, and hearing more of those, well, hearing more of the stories and then just hearing the knowledge behind it, which is super cool. Um, that's awesome for the Science Center and for yourself, I guess, uh, just to wrap this up, even like where can, um, where can people find more information 
about you, Corey, and if they uh, and to contact you or to hear more about you or hear more of you, uh, where can we find that? Yeah, so I do also have a podcast called Ancestral Science. It's on Spotify and Apple, um, and there's lots of, really good for teachers because there's tons of links in the show notes for additional resources and whatnot. We talk to um, knowledge keepers and scientists from around Turtle Island and beyond. Uh, I had someone from, from Torres Strait uh, a couple of episodes ago, which is very cool. Uh, lots of similarities, which is interesting. Um, so there's there's that. Uh, you can contact me also through, uh, there's links to my website there, relationalsciencecircle.com or relational.science at gmail.com. So all that is is stuff that you can contact me through there. It's also my educational consulting company. So you need support also with your school and teachers and whatnot i i get to do that kind of stuff too oh that's great well yeah like you mentioned i'll make sure i get all these links down and uh and they'll be available for sure in the show notes and that's that's great to hear Corey. there is so much to unpack uh (laughs) and just everything you've been talking about is amazing and it really uh this stuff really gets gets me excited and um I've never been a, a scholar, we'll say, but hearing about this and that even just the way you, you frame it, that makes me excited to learn and want to learn. Uh, and I think that's kind of the underlying underlying message behind this this episode for sure is just finding those finding those other avenues to do it. And um, one way isn't the right way. And you can get you can get to other places. And you can be very success, or successful in that world without, mm-hmm. you know, that traditional straight A's all the way through high school and everything else. Right. So. It's uh, it's pretty special, and it's it's great to hear it from someone that's lived it, doing it, and and really um, a really shining example of that. Cool. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for your time, and I really appreciate this, and uh, I look forward to uh, to meeting you again. And um, yeah, and who knows, we'll uh, I'll try to drag you into some work here, maybe eventually. So we'll uh, we'll see how Sounds that goes. Good. Awesome. Well, Sounds thanks good. again. Thanks for your time. <laughs> thank you. Hi. Hi.